Hello and welcome to the very first instalment of the Shameless Book Club. This month we are talking all about Girl, Woman, Other, the joint winner of the 2019 Booker Prize. It's a love song to black womanhood in Britain and follows the lives of 12 disparate characters. From playwright Amma to high-flying executive Carol, her cleaner mother Bumi, straight-laced secondary teacher Shirley, 93-year-old firecracker Hattie and snooty, racist, rich lady Penelope to name a few. This novel isn't so much about a cataclysmic event or plotline, but rather the loves and losses of black British women. This is Anglo-Nigerian author Bernadine Evaristo's eighth novel, and in the second part of this podcast episode, we chat with Bernadine herself about her most critically acclaimed work yet. But before that interview, we need to welcome the book club members that I'm sitting at a table with right now, Zara McDonald and Annabelle Lee. Hi, guys. Hi. Hi. Welcome, I guess. Welcome, (laughs) everyone. I'm so excited for us to all sit down at a table together instead of like Zara and I and then Annabelle editing away. Annabelle, welcome. This is weird for me. I'm usually (laughs) listening to you guys. I'm the only one without headphones on right now, and it's weird. I can't hear anything. (laughs) Well, you've got ears, so you can hear your voice. Literally in front of you, Annabelle, you can definitely hear us. Look, before Annabelle says more nonsensical things in this podcast. There's going to be a lot of it. <laughs> Bless you. Let's go to our hotline, guys. We did throw this to the shameless community. We said to you guys, we want to hear your thoughts on this book as much as our own. We have lots of hotline messages to get through today, but the first one we're starting with is Louise's. Louise loved this book. Hello, shameless community. I just wanted to give my two cents worth about the June book because I really enjoyed it. I found the first chapter to be a little bit confusing with the introduction of so many characters, but once I'd gotten used to the lack of punctuation, I was hooked. Most of all, I feel like it really made me open my eyes and my heart to the everyday conflicts that women of colour endure every day. From the microaggressions to the overt hate crimes, and to be honest, it's changed the way I'm reacting to content about Black Lives Matter. Thank you for choosing a book I might not have picked up off the shelf. It couldn't have come at a better time. Looking forward to July's read. Thanks so much. And what a great place to start. Louise, thank you for bringing up the very fluid adaption of syntax rules and I guess interesting approach to full stops, capitalizations, speech marks. You have it. Zara, let's start with you. Girl, Woman, Other was unlike any book I've read as far as syntax goes. What did you think of it? Okay, can I throw us off course a little bit to start? Because I have a fun fact just before we get to the syntax and I wanted to bring it in and I have no idea where to drop it because this is not my hosting of the podcast. (laughs) Drop it right at the beginning. (laughs) I love that you've derailed the podcast as early as possible. I'm not entirely sure how you want this structured so I wasn't sure if there was a section where my fact would fit in. Before we get into anything, are we surprised that the Booker Prize is not that high paying of a prize? How much would you expect the prize money of the Booker Prize to be? The most almost the most famous book novel prize in the entire world. I might sound so stupid. I didn't realise money would be involved. Me too. Oh, I thought it was just like a congratulations, you got the prize in quotation Okay, well marks. now who looks like the idiot? <laughs> How much is it? Well, now it's going to look like he. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realise any money was involved. So they win about 63000 US dollars, but that was split between two. That's a lot. It's a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. It's heaps of money. Yeah. But for, for authors who are at the top of their game worldwide, mm. I just find it kind of interesting when you compare it to, I guess, the classic case of sports people or other people who just earn ridiculous amounts of money. The talent and skill that goes into a book like Girl, Woman, Other is second to none. And I was just surprised by that figure, given there is money involved. Yeah, well, as you guys will hear at the end of the episode, when I do chat to Bernadine Everisto, she's been working on this novel for like seven years. She first had the idea for Carol in 2013. That was the first character that kind of sparked the whole novel, which you'll hear about in the interview. But for something that's been taking up 
almost a decade of her time. You're right. There's almost no price that you could put on the importance of a book like this and the importance of rewarding authors and artists like Bernadine Evaristo. Exactly. Back to the syntax and back to the structure. I felt when I approached this book, and I don't know how you guys feel, but I felt far more daunted than I eventually was when I got into the copy. Mm. I did say earlier in an episode of Shameless, I think it was on Monday, that I kind of have often felt that I am intimidated by like the poetic nature of some kind of writing. I've often been quite intimidated by poetry, actually, because Mm. I've often felt I haven't really understood the depth and meaning of many poems. So I see a book like this that doesn't have any full stops, doesn't really have any punctuation, and I feel automatically overwhelmed by it. But there was something about this. I think it was after Amma's chapter that I started to really find my flow. What about you, Annabelle? I really struggled with Amma's chapter as well, which is why I actually didn't tell you guys this. I listened to the BBC audio version with the first chapter, with Amma's Ah. chapter, because I read it. And you know when you read something and you're really struggling to understand and you just find yourself rereading it over and over again and you can't, it can't sink in. So I did that for a while with Emma and then I was like, I saw someone post in our Shameless Book Club Facebook group a link to this BBC audio. Yeah. It was read by Pippa Bennett Warner and she does a really incredible job of giving each passage pace and kind of melody that I just wasn't reading myself to begin with. Ah. So I did that for Emma and then eventually I, I weaned myself off and just read it and it was so much easier. So did you find that you were kind of almost using her rhythm to take you through the rest of the book? Yeah, because I found that Emma it was harder to read the rhythm just as it was in text. Mm. Whereas with the other characters, maybe it was easier. They had louder voices. Well, I think it was more so that once you got through Amma, and Amma was 40 pages, I think you had kind of picked up what the book's flow looked like more and then you were ready to start afresh with a new character and you were picking up on the details more so than the actual structure of the sentences. I actually, I was thinking this this morning as we were sitting down preparing for this episode, I want to go back and reread Amma's yeah. chapter because I don't think I picked up nearly as much about her character or who she is because I was so consumed with getting into the flow of everything. I think that's right. I think Amma actually gets a bad rap because people are starting to kind of get used to what the book is actually like and how the flow kind of rolls through. And I fell more and more in love with Amma as she appeared in other people's chapters. And I was like, Mm. she is a really incredible character. And every time I saw people talking about the book, everyone's like, just get through the first chapter or two and you'll just fall in love with it. Mm. I also think one of the things for me is one of the most stark things about sort of the way it was written was how distinct each character's voice was. It got to the point where I had to keep reminding myself that the same author, I know this sounds very silly and I do this with a lot of books, but the same author had written every single character. Like it was the same person's voice, but different voices. I agree with that. I I think so. sometimes with books that I don't enjoy and that I eventually don't finish because I just give up I can imagine the author thinking of this quite cliched character in their mind and I can almost think of the author sitting down and writing it. With Girl, Woman, Other, I didn't think that once. Like I completely became immersed in the characters' stories and they were completely believable to me. It makes me think how difficult it would be to be a fiction author Mm. because it's like, you know, when someone's acting and you can tell you're the actor behind that character. Mm. This was not the case at all with this book. I agree and I think that's what kept spinning my mind out the most. I also really enjoyed there was a couple of things that I had missed. I think one of my favourite parts about reading, and I don't know if it adds to the reading experience or it means I'm just a really bad reader, but it's like um, going through Google afterwards and finding out what I've missed Mm because I always go through reviews and I always read stuff being like, oh, that was that thing and, oh, I, I get it all now. And there was this article in the New Statesman, which I found very interesting, where... 
Each chapter, I hadn't realised as I read through, began with a West African a drinker drawing, which symbolised a quality of each character. And so when I went back through and I had finished the book and I went back through those drawings and kind of did my own research on those drawings themselves, mm-hmm. I found that a very interesting addition that just completely flew right over my head as I was reading it. Yeah, that's a beautiful addition that I didn't notice either. It's good that you just brought that to detail, the table. detail, right? Yeah, the thought that goes into yeah. it is astounding. I think she's really created a whole other universe, a whole network of people. It's incredible art in itself. Final question while we're talking about syntax. Do you think it was necessary? Do you think if the book had followed typical syntax rules with full stops and capitalizations and speech marks, it would have had the same impact on you? I'm not sure if it was the same for you guys, but the absence of syntax and punctuation was something that I noticed throughout reading. And I think that that was maybe the point, like to give each person their own voice and their own pace and their own character. And so I think that it would have read differently, very differently if it did have those things. Yeah, I agree. I don't know if the book would have stood out as much. I don't know. I, I just don't think so. I think I just found myself in such flow with the reading yep. and with the tone that I just, I actually fell in love with how it was written. There was this really good quote. It was a review from the Washington Independent Review of Books about Evaristo's writing style. And they wrote, Evaristo's verbal acrobatics do things language shouldn't be able to do. It's a Cirque du Soleil of fiction. I love that. Yeah. I agree with you guys. I think having that freedom and not binding herself to typical syntax rules meant that every character seemed so raw. I think it gave the book an edge and a rawness to it that if it hadn't followed the kind of rhythm and the poetic structure it had, it would have missed out on that rawness. Let's get on to favourite characters and favourite sections of the book. We want to hear from Janelle. She actually had a favourite quote from the character Shirley. Hi, Shameless Book Club. I just wanted to share the quote that I found most thought-provoking from Girl, Woman, Other and also that I think resonated with me in a really sad way because I probably agree with it. And it was when Shirley or Mrs King says, the truth is that hierarchies of power and privilege won't disappear. Every historian knows this. It's innate to human nature and inherent in all societies, in all areas and equally manifests in the animal kingdom. So I can't pretend otherwise. Now, guys, Shirley, we need to start here because Annabelle Lee, I have a bone to pick with you. Your favourite <laughs> character in this book was my least favourite character, I really and that is Shirley. I you guys when I told you. I thought you were trolling us. Well, because in my defence, I didn't like her straight away. I liked her. It's after- still not a defence. I'm still annoyed at you. <laughs> I am interested. Well, because at the start, the characters that resonated with, with me the most were the ones that were probably closer to my age, like right. Yaz and Carol yeah. and stuff. Yeah. But then at the end, Shirley was a character that I kept thinking about. Because I think she, like many people and like many characters in this book, was very layered. And so on the surface level, she seems very uptight and kind of strict, I guess. But I think deep down she was just a very vulnerable person. Right. And I think it made me think about why people are like that. You're a better person than I am. No, I actually think you're absolutely (laughs) right. I think you're far a far better person than I because I I fundamentally agree with you. I think there was so much going on below Shelley's surface that kind of led to her being how she is. And she was also, and the more you started talking, the more I realised she was very believable as a character. Yes. Yes. I could see her. I could see her in my head. And I feel like we all kind of have a little bit of Shirley in us. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) A little bit of vulnerable, super insecure, I don't trust anyone. That just comes out kind of up top. I want to make one point though. I would hope we don't have the homophobia that Shirley clearly grapples with with 
in us. She was an extremely homophobic character. And I did find it interesting at the end of the book how it was kind of revealed that other characters in the story knew that she was homophobic or suspected she was. Whereas when I read her chapter, I'm like, wow, she's a secret homophobe. But yeah. not really so secret. She was quite obvious sometimes. Yeah, but then you think about that and you're like, God, you can't be that good at hiding it. If you really do have those fundamental core beliefs, I can't imagine you being able to hide it very well. Like her coming into contact with like Dominique at the play and stuff mm. was just like such a cringe interaction. Like it's so I, – I, I kind of love but hate reading and watching interactions that make me kind of like – I don't know, what's the action I'm doing right now? See that. <laughs> well, you're cringing, right? Yeah. There's like two opposite ends of the universe colliding where you're like, these two people are just, no, like, and like nothing And that happens good. in real life. Yeah. And it was really amazing to read. I actually want to read a passage from the book. I think it was the moment I realised, oh my God, Shirley is kind of a big softie. <clears throat> okay, actually, wait, before I read it, <laughs> let me give you context. So what just happened was they meet at the after party of Amma's play. Yes. And Carol and Shirley meet and they're both like oh they see each other and they don't really know who who should reach out first so they've had their initial interaction and this is the passage <clears throat> Carol sees that the watery eyes have become actual tears it dawns on her that Mrs King really did help her when nobody else could or would how could she have not realized this until now Mrs. King takes a step backwards, embarrassed by her vulnerability, Carol suspects. And I can just imagine it. I can imagine someone holding back that emotion yeah. and not wanting to. And I just, I feel like I've done that so many times where I feel like I'm going to cry and I don't really know why, Aww. but there's obviously a reason. Well, totally. It's this idea of like, I don't know why I care so much. Or maybe if you un took time unpacking it, you would know, but it is kind of just like all coming to the surface in like one moment. Yeah, exactly. Zara, your turn. Who is your favourite character? Not homophobic, Shirley. <laughs> um, my favourite character was Yaz by far. I yeah. fucking, I enjoyed Yaz's chapter to no end. Like her um, speech, her sass, her cynicism about the world. She just seems so brash and so amazing. And I think I kind of loved how the relationship between Amma and Yaz spoke to this very kind of like common and pervasive idea that even the most progressive parents will birth kids who think their parents' politics or feminism yeah. is like really antiquated. Yes. Like Amma to me, as we went through the book, was like the most like progressive kind of anti-establishment kind of character, very feminist. And Yaz comes along and is just like, oh my God, she's so embarrassing. Like she's yeah. so old and antiquated. And I just thought it's such a classic stereotype, but it didn't feel like a stereotypical way of telling it, if that makes sense. She was like a blast of cold water. Oh. She was mm. so good. And her, her posse of friends were amazing. <laughs> I also loved this idea that young people like Yaz are loud and like I said brash and passionate and have kind of like this hold no prisoners approach to politics. With Yaz is she like this by virtue of her generation or is it because of her age and the world will tell her to be quieter later? Like is she the most sardonic and cynical because she's the youngest character or will she always be like that through life? I think it's a product of growing up in this particular moment. I think there is an uprising of incredible vocal black women right now. And I think Yaz speaks to a lot of the kinds of women that we're seeing on Instagram who are garnering huge followings off the back of being so political and so fierce in what they believe and why they believe it. Yeah, good point. What about your favourite character? My favourite character was Dominique. And I don't know if it was because of Dominique the person, but I think it was the most enjoyable chapter for me almost in the entire book. For those who might not remember... Dominique entered into quite a toxic romantic relationship with Zinger and I had never seen before now 
a domestically violent, and I'll give it that name because I think it was domestic totally. violence. It was, it was very manipulative, very cold, very cutting between a lesbian couple or a same-sex couple. And I just loved the way that Evaristo explored this relationship. And I also found the idea of this all-women's commune of Spirit Moon where they were building houses mm, just yeah. to be almost like an alternate reality to me. It just seemed like such a, a faraway place. But these things really do exist and there are communities like that. And I thought it was so interesting to be taken into that world. Did you guys like hearing about their relationship? What did you think, Annabelle? It was something that I'd never read anything like that before. You're right. And I liked the way that that storyline ended. Yes. That she had a group of people around her that she could lean on and she found support in. And that was really lovely. I also like that she stayed in the US. Yes. Yeah. That that was home to her now. What did she, you think, Zara? No, I agree with you. And I think you're absolutely right. This idea of like Amma just kind of always being there on the periphery, I think is such an ode to a lot of friendships that ha- that kind of withstand domestically violent relationships that kind of can't have that intimacy that they're usually very used to, but that friend is always there and always waiting and kind of always ready to pull them out when they're ready. Because as we can see with this story, they have to be ready to leave. Absolutely. I want to read out a really short exchange between Dominique and Zinger because I think this is really short and brief, but I think the brevity of it captures the vibe and the tension that exists in a lot of domestically violent relationships. Okay, I give in. I agree. Let's turn off the light and go to sleep. I don't want you to give in. I want you to change, to understand my reasoning at a deeper level and accept it as the truth. I just think that kind of dynamic and that exchange was so poignant. And she finished that little section on that exchange and I thought that was a really powerful bit of prose there. Yeah, that really stuck with me too. Now let's throw to Brittany. Brittany desperately wants to talk about one of the twists in the novel that I'm sure had us all shrieking. Hi, ladies. Uh, My name is Brittany and I've just finished reading Girl, Woman, Other. I just wanted to share my thoughts, especially on the story of Winsome. Now, I noticed that Mish posted in the Facebook group about the ending of her story. Now, I... I found it a little bit strange that she did go on and sleep with her daughter's uh, husband when, you know, her daughter Shirley really seemed to have that really great relationship work both with her mother and her husband. Uh, I I did feel a little, it was a little bit unbelievable, but I did really enjoy Evaristo's writing as a whole and I actually really want to read some of her other books now because I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much for choosing such an awesome book. Thanks. We have to talk about Winsome. I've been dying to talk about Winsome for <laughs> so fucking long. This is the one part of the book that had me literally like shrieking in bed as I was reading it. My boyfriend kept being like, what is happening in this book? What are you going on about? Tell me, Zara, we'll go to you first. Gut reaction to Winsome sleeping with her daughter's husband. Well, I rolled my fucking eyes because you had ruined it for me before <laughs> I read it. So you posted in the um, Shameless Book Club Facebook group about, I reckon about an hour before I got to this chapter. I'm so Great sorry. Great timing, man. I know. And you said, holy shit, guys, I'm just finishing, I just finished Winston's chapter. Like, what the fuck just happened? And I'm reading Winston's chapter as I go along and I realise halfway through that I'm looking for the twist. Like, I'm looking for the thing that happens in Winston's chapter. And then she starts talking about Shirley's husband in a kind of questionable way. And you do that thing where you're like, surely not. Surely not. Not, surely not. And lo and behold, it happens. It happens. And it happened in quite a shocking way. So unexpected. Can I just say, 
Poor Shirley. Genuinely agree with she you. She cannot catch a damn break. <laughs> you on the Shirley bandwagon. Shirley. I just love it. But the surprising thing was, right, like in Shirley's chapter, you read about this ideal marriage where mm. everything just seemed so idyllic and it really did seem like Shirley had the perfect husband. Then you read that he was fucking her mum. It's fucked up. I want to ask, because you guys didn't like Shirley when you read it, did you feel bad for her when you found out? Yeah, of course. <laughs> and it's kind of like in the same way that you kind of like parts of Shirley's character but also really denounced other parts of her. Yeah. You can understand every single character in this book is so completely layered. Like there are some things you really don't like but there are some things you empathise with. And mm. I think reading this about Shirley was really hard to stomach because the way she spoke about her marriage with Lennox was kind of so beautiful and it seemed so like they had this like beautiful routine and like they'd found this beautiful beautiful rhythm in their life and then you read that her mum is sleeping with her husband and you just feel so sad can I read a passage of course this passage is the one that made me shriek in bed am I gonna cry is it's sad? it's no 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 no. it's not sad <laughs> this made me like squirm with like oh my god it's intense <laughs> Winsome found herself feeling something she'd never felt for Clovis a bursting sexual desire passion whatever they call it she tried hard not to stare at his chocolatey skin that was so lickable or into his pure whites of his intelligent eyes whereas Clovis had yellowed eye whites from a childhood spent in the glare of the sun at sea he had a neatly clipped small afro a figure hugging shirt showed off his perfect torso she wanted to run her hands all over him massage his balls feel him <laughs> harden at her touch that's it's nice. weird hearing you read that out loud. Massage his balls. I'm, yeah, it's an interesting Stop way. Stop saying it over and It's over an again. interesting way to express desire. I'll give you that much. Maybe I'm just approved. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, to stop our giggling, we also need to hear, of course, from listener Emily. Emily wants to talk about the other twist in Girl, Woman, Other. Hi, ladies. I just wanted to... Jump in and say thank you for setting that first book, uh, Girl, Woman, Other. I It's not something I probably would have picked up for myself to read, but I really enjoyed the challenge of it in the writing and I was surprised when I actually did get into the flow of things, as you promised. Um, I really, really enjoyed all the characters and their developments and, and how everything was interwoven. Um, personally, I didn't, I actually saw the twist coming at the end. Um, and so when I saw people posting about it on the Facebook page, I was really excited for this big twist. And then I got to the end and realized that I already knew what it was. So, um, that was okay though. The book was good overall. And I just want to say that I really, really, really love that we're doing this book club all together. Okay. Bye. All right, guys, talk to me. Penelope, did you see the twist coming? Annabelle, we'll start I, with you. I didn't see it coming, but I thought it was a bit far-fetched, especially it seemed like, because she's a pretty racist character, right? Yeah. And then at the end, she was like, hey, hooray, I'm no longer racist. And it was like, that seemed very simple, mm. like overly simplistic and not very realistic. Do you think that's what they were trying to say, though? Or, I don't know, that kind of hug at the end. I agree with you, it was kind of a neat bow, but it was a kind of ending where I was like, I feel like there's a lot to unpack now beyond the end of this book. Like I think there's a lot for those two characters, both Hattie and Penelope, to unpack. Dare I say I did see it coming without sounding like an absolute wanker. Yeah, same. Because what happened was I remember getting to Penelope's chapter and starting to read and I said this to you yesterday, Mish, and I thought – Hang on a second. I remembered Penelope from Shirley's school. You know how there's so many names for this book? So I flip back and I go to um, Shirley's 
chapter and I read that Penelope is mentioned and I'm like, yeah, she's mentioned as this racist white character. And I'm like, what the fuck is this white character doing in this book? Like it just seems so at odds to suddenly hear from this very racist perspective. Yeah, and as well the connection with Bumi and that Bumi was her cleaner and she seemed like this just terrible racist boss as well who like mispronounced her name intentionally or just didn't bother to even understand how to pronounce her name or know about her background. The entire time when Penelope, whenever Penelope would show up in the book, I was trying to think, okay, what's her connection to the story here? This is about black womanhood. What's her connection? And I agree with you, Zara. It was instantly where my mind went. Well, and then we found out she was adopted. Mm. And I was like, the minute I found out she was adopted, I was kind of like, well there's got to be something here. Like there has to be some sort of way that you kind of more neatly fit into this narrative than kind of meets the eye. Mm. So I wasn't shocked. I didn't, I kind of, I really liked the addition of Penelope and kind of the unfolding of her story though. Do you think that the book would have been as impactful without the character of Penelope? No, I, I, I really enjoyed the character because I can also see Penelope in my head so crystal yeah. clearly, particularly in like a Turak suburb in Melbourne or something. Penelope would just slot right into like the local Turak market. But then I disagree. I don't even think she needs to be particularly wealthy. I think that's the mistake we make about like racist white women is that they often come from like this very upper mm. class kind of setup, but often they're kind of just the product of being in a white supremacist society. I agree with that. I think I was speaking more to the dynamic of a wealthy white woman hiring a black woman mm. to be her cleaner and then not really seeing that black woman as a person in her own right. Before we get on to what we rate Girl, Woman, Other, we have to hear from Kate. Kate called the hotline and she didn't have as many positive things to say. (laughs) So I'm feeling like I'm the only person who didn't enjoy this book. Well, I'm just not in love with it like everybody else seems to be on the page. Um, I did enjoy the way that the author intertwined all the storylines And I did like that it's quite topical at the moment with the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, But I guess for me, just some of them, I don't know, maybe I'm just not feminist enough um, to have been like, wow, love this book. But it was a good read. And hopefully someone's going to give it a review that it just kind of all clicks to me. Otherwise, yeah. All right, guys, I'm guessing Kate probably didn't give Girl, Woman, Other a rating like mine. I think if I had to give this book anything out of 10, which we will do for every book, by the way, we'll wrap every chat that we have about a book with our own ratings out of 10. I think I'd give Girl, Woman, Other an eight. I really genuinely enjoyed it so much. The only thing that I perhaps didn't super, super love was that the ending seemed a little bit too neat for me. I felt like it wrapped up quite quickly and the resolution for Penelope was a little bit too neat. That said brilliant brilliant book it's also one that I will try and read again and again because I think every single time I'll pick up something else from it what about you Annabelle based on like my personal preference of book I would rather a more light-hearted book but considering all that it is and all that it means and the impact that it has I would give it an 8.5 what up you by 0.5 <laughs> <laughs> oh my god it's like a competition <laughs> In that case, no, I, um, look, my issue with ratings is that I'll never kind of finish a book that I don't like. So if I finish one of every single book we do for book club, I'm always going to give it a really high rating, which is an annoying That's rating system. That's nonsensical. We'll uh, make you read a book you, you don't know what? like. I'm easily pleased. It's a lovely characteristic. I'm giving it a nine and a half. Beautiful. Ooh. I'll took half a point off for that ending, but the rest of it, what a, what a piece of art. What a piece of art. And let's actually get to the author herself. Coming after the break, I will be sitting down with Bernadine Evaristo to talk all about the novel that the three of us adored. But first, a word from Zara and I. Mish, 
He wrote a book. It is called The Space Between and it is out on September 1. And do you want to tell the people what it's about? Absolutely. We wrote a book about feeling like an adult but not yet a proper adult. So The Space Between is about that weird bridge of time when you're just trudging your way through, fueled by cheap tacos and even cheaper tequila, trying to figure it all out. Also, Zara, known as your 20s. Also known as your 20s. We did get the sense, though, didn't we, Mish, that written content about being in your 20s was so often written in hindsight when the answers are all there, the kind of neat bows are there, but we wanted to express this stuff as we were in the middle of it, which is always a bit risky when you put your words <laughs> down in the middle of a crisis, but we wrote about things like situationships and falling in love, leaving university, climbing the career ladder, the joys of ghosting out of a party and taking a Euro gap year. We just couldn't seem to find a book that encapsulated the space between adolescence and whatever comes next, so we just wrote it. For all the fun and frivolity, we wanted to make space for more serious topics too. So we talk about the taboos of toxic workplaces, family breakdowns, anxiety, endometriosis, loneliness, consent. Oh, and of course, the fear of taking a pregnancy test when you really, really, really fucking don't want a baby. Because if we were going to write a book about our 20s, you guys, we wanted to write about it all. The silly, the regretful, the glittery, the fun, the important. We have poured our hearts and our souls into these pages and we cannot wait for you guys to get your pretty little hands on them. You can pre-order The Space Between right now. Head to our show notes for a link. Bernadine, where I'd love to start with you is the genesis of the idea for Girl, Woman, Other. When did you come up with this concept for this magnificent book? The, the sort of longish answer is that I wrote a short story in verse for the radio in 2013. And I decided I was going to write four black female characters. And this is what I did. And then I realised as I was writing it, that actually this was going to be the next book. And I decided to develop the idea. And one of the characters, Carol, is the only, well, she's in fact the only character who remained in the final book. Oh, so wow. That, yeah, so Carol was actually the starting point for the novel. And even though she's not in the novel as, at the beginning, she was the first character. And as I wrote her, then her mother came into her section, Bumi, and I realised Bumi could have her own story. In fact, I, if I think about it, you know, I, I kind of forget the process sometimes. So I give people answers and sometimes those answers are contradictory because I'm, kind of like, <laughs> I'm, kind of, I'm kind of making it up, right? So I have to go back over my early notes. I think at one point I might have even thought it could be like a book of three characters or something. Mm. Carol was going to be one of the characters. Anyway, at some point I realised it was going to be many more than that. So Bumi emerged out of Carol. Shirley came out of Carol. And then I think Emma came out of Shirley. So each character that I wrote led to the next character. So it was a very organic process. And then in the end it became 12 characters. At one point I thought it was going to be many, many more. And I thought that would be... That's a crazy idea, but could I, could I pull that off? But as I was writing the stories, I realised that a, a novel has to be finite and 120,000 words is, is just enough <laughs> for the reader. It was yeah. a beautiful length. I thought it was a perfect length as well. And I think 12 characters is manageable without people getting completely lost as to what's going on. Yes. Right? Yes, absolutely. How do the characters come to you? Are they Do they come to you when you're not actually trying to actively think about it? I know a lot of creative people, the best ideas come when they're having a drive or they're in the shower. How did the 12 different women come to you? 
I think they came to me in different ways because at, at, at the stage at which I realised I was going to have lots of protagonists, I then thought about the variety, what I could do in terms of age. You know, I definitely didn't want it to be just one age, not middle age, not not young, but every age that would be conceivable. And I also was thinking about their cultural backgrounds, whether they were Nigerian or sorry, African origin directly or British origin. I was thinking about class. I was thinking about the kind of jobs that people do. I was thinking about sexuality and gender. And through thinking about all of these things, I then would create characters who I thought would be the best way to express the mixture of all these things that I wanted to explore. Mm. And they they all came differently. So AMA came about because I wanted to write about the 80s. I was part of the 80s Black Women's Countercultural Movement. And she is the only character who's even semi-autobiographical. So she's kind of based on my younger self, although mm. I, I am not AMA. And I certainly didn't go to the extremes that Emma went to in any way. <laughs> <laughs> but make of that what you will. But I, uh, yeah, so she was she was very easy for me to write. And then the others, I had to do some work and, and you know, use my imagination. Hmm. Do you and ever then, meet someone in person and you feel inspired by them or they spark something within you that you feel like that would be a great book character? Not that, it's not when I meet someone in person. It's rather people I know already. <laughs> Ooh, <okay>. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone who's friends with you be like which yeah, character careful, am I <laughs> careful careful people so there are there are Penelope is definitely inspired by somebody I did know for a bit who I did not like and when I was writing the book she became the muse for that character I was like oh my god this is so and so and when I I, I know people uh some people I I know very well and I don't, you know, perhaps they're in my family or something, not not my direct blood relatives. And I think, yeah, one day, one day you're going to... <laughs> <laughs> there will be a spot for you in one Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And I have created characters based on, on people that I know in the past. Mm. Yeah. Mm. What about the creative process between creating intersections with all the characters? Because the stories were so beautifully woven throughout and the characters had like touch points with each other, but they weren't always super neat and it wasn't like everyone was connected in the mm. exact same web. How do you do that physically? Do you sit down and do you make a mind map where all the different intersections happen or did it happen organically as you were writing the book? It was much more organic. And then at some point I started to look at the map of what I'd done and realised I needed to fill in some of the gaps. Mm. I, you know, so as I said, one character wouldn't, did I say that? I don't know. I've done so many interviews. Anyway, <laughs> I forget what I've said to whom, even though I've only been talking for like three minutes. Yeah. So <clears throat> one character would lead to another character. Carol mm. led to Bumi. Shirley led to Amma. So, so that was a very organic process. And then I thought about the north of the country and the fact that I didn't want it to just be London-centric. So those characters kind of came out of me consciously deciding I was going to have at least three characters from the north of England from predominantly rural backgrounds because the book is supposed to be defying stereotypes and expanding people's ideas of who we are. And if it was just an urban book, if, in a sense, set in the metropolis, it would be very limiting. And I want people mm. to imagine us outside of the city because often the representations of black people in Britain are urban because most mm. of us settled in, in the cities. So then that became 
a, a decision. And then it was about the, the, the natural connections, mothers, daughters, friends, and then connections that I imposed, such as Penelope and Bumi. That came quite late because Bumi is Penelope's cleaner. And I was looking at it and thinking there aren't enough connections. How can I connect these two disparate figures who actually live in the same area? Hmm. So, so it kind of worked out like that. I'm not a great planner. I don't have a very technical mind. So even though the book is actually really technical. Well, I was about to say that. Everyone would be shocked to hear that. Yes, I'm not. I can't add up. <laughs> I, I can't read instructions. I... You just I, threw this at the wall and it all just came together. Yes. But I but but the the other thing to say is I've written eight books and lots of other works. Yeah. So yeah. and and each book hasn't really been very pre-planned. So I am I'm I suppose the skill I have is in writing a book and understanding the structure that I need for that book and know and trusting that I can do it yeah. more or less. I have I have abandoned works where it hasn't worked and I I didn't listen to my instincts. So that level of planning that somebody like J.K. Rowling did, and if you go online, you'll see maps of her books and characters, which is phenomenal. I can't do that. And even if I were to try to do that, I would deviate from it because I just can't. I, I'm very free in my process, but also very disciplined because you have to be both free and disciplined. Speaking of free and disciplined, you just said this is your eighth novel, but it's not the first novel where you kind of had a fluid relationship with syntax. In your novel, Lara, which I believe came out in the late 1990s, is that correct? The first the first version did, yeah. Yeah, that was a verse novel and you didn't use uh, full stops and you didn't use capitalisation as much as obviously the typical novel does. I want to talk to you about why you... You must find joy, I'm guessing, in writing in a more free way that comes organically to you. What do you find enjoyable about writing with a more fluid relationship with syntax? Yes, I'm, I'm, I am an experimental writer. That's the truth of it. And I always try to do things differently. And <clears throat> my background is in poetry and theatre. And even my theatre was poetry. So I, I find it, the pleasure for me is in breaking the rules and to find a structure and a form and a story that defies convention. And through that, my voice comes through my writing. And so I have written a book, for example, which is called Soul Taurus, which is a novel and it's poetry, but it's also prose and it's prose poetry. And there are scripts where dialogues conveyed through scripts and also other non-traditional forms. So this is something that I've done a lot. But the the fluidity of Girl, Woman, Other, I haven't really written a book like that. So I call it a fusion fiction, but I, that's that's a new thing for me and maybe a new thing for literature. I don't know. I like to make these, these proclamations that I've invented this form, but we'll see. Somebody will say, no, 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 someone else has done it. But it's fusion fiction because I don't really see it as poetry and I don't really see it as straightforward prose. And because I didn't use many full stops, it was a very free-flowing experience. And mm. I, it was just like, vroom, it just came out of me. I mean, it took five years, but it just came out of me. The, and, and incredibly exhilarating for me, because I found if you get rid of the full stops, somehow the imagination is just freer. Mm. I, felt, I felt so free getting rid of English grammar, essentially, and not, and not many capitals for a whole No book. rules. No, no rules. Yeah, absolutely. Breaking those rules. And... 
finding ways to create these characters and their stories and the you know, it's almost like stream of consciousness as you read the novel and you're going through these women's consciousness at a deeper level, plus also seeing the practicalities of their lives and the stories and the narratives. But you feel probably that you're engaging with them at quite a deep level. And that could only be possible through the way in which I wrote it. And then the issue was about editing, because that's when I realised why we have full stops, <laughs> because... It was like you're looking at it just felt like a complete mess and I couldn't see what was what and where was where and because there are all these different women and there's there are these degrees of connections between them and I had to work on their different timelines and it was like okay so so Emma is talking about Dom say Shirley Emma's talking about Shirley but at what stage is this conversation or maybe they're having a conversation together so what at what stage in their lives is this conversation happening and does it match the chronology of Shirley's story? Mm. Very, 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 very complicated and it almost defeated me and I had to get other eyes on it to, to help me see what I'd done. So well, that- you've created a whole other universe, right? Like it's this whole, it's this entire network of people. It would yeah. be incredibly difficult. It would be difficult. It would. Yes, it would. I mean, 12 co-protagonists for a start is, mm-hmm. is a difficult thing to do, I think. Yeah. It's a tricky question, but which character was the most difficult to say goodbye to? I mean, you said at the very beginning of this interview that you've been living with some of these characters like Carol for years seven years who was the most difficult one to close the chapter on and be like I'm going to leave this particular woman's story here Uh, nobody's asked me that question this is a really interesting question um in a sense it's the question is also which character has so much more to say about I Mm. guess I think yes actually my two favorite characters although I love all my children equally. (laughs) (laughs) But my two favourite characters are Yaz and Hattie, the two extremes, young, city girl, full of herself, and older, 93-year-old farmer, full of herself, (laughs) in a sense, which I think is a compliment. And so I had such pleasure writing them. Yaz Mm -hmm. was much easier than Hattie because Hattie's 93 and she's in a farming community in the north of England. What? TF, do I know about that, right? But Yaz, Yaz could almost, I could like write Yaz at every stage of her life. Mm. She's now 19. I could do Yaz at 39. Hey, there's an idea. I could do Yaz Yaz at 59, should I live so long. So, yes, there's so much possibility with Yaz. And Yaz is also, she is kind of like, you know, in a sense, in terms of the novel, she captures the zeitgeist of young mm. woke women today, of any colour, to be honest. And, yeah. and that, that is so exciting. They're, they are so exciting. Young women of today are so exciting, the politicised ones in particular, because they are coming of age in a culture where they have so much access to each other and to the world and get able to gain strength from global communities and, and having these incredible platforms that they often they create for themselves. Bernadine, thank you so much for writing this book. I can't tell you how much our community has enjoyed it and loved it. And it was such a joy to read. I've never read, I mean, you said it was an experimental book. I've never read anything like it and I just so enjoyed it. So thank you for writing this. I so, so loved it and so enjoyed it. And I'm a big fan of yours. Thank you. Thanks very much. 
Thank you so much for listening to this first instalment of the Shameless Book Club. If you'd like to join us again next time, make sure you go out and buy or borrow our July book club pick, Red, I say our, it was mine, Red, White and Royal Blue by Casey McQuiston. This romance novel is a New York Times bestseller and explores the son of America's first female president falling in love with the Prince of England. What a story. We will pop an affiliate link to buy the book in our show notes. Bring on all that sugar. If you want to be part of the Shameless Book Club community, please come and join our Facebook group by searching Shameless Podcast Book Club. There are 24,000 listeners already in that space, already sharing their very best book recommendations and we'd absolutely love to have you. Finally, if you are participating in our book club, show us on Instagram. We're following the hashtag Shameless Book Club and we'd love to see how and where you are reading. We will see you guys on Monday. Bye. Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.